Aristotle once said, in every act of doing, we are becoming. Every day, all of us make choices that shape and form us into the people that we are and the people that we are becoming. I'm your producer, Michael Moffat, and I want to welcome you to the Arete Way, a podcast dedicated to helping you become excellent in all that you do. Our hosts today are Walter and Stacy Nussbaum. Well, welcome to the Arete Way. My name is Walter Nussbaum. It's my beautiful wife, Stacy. How are you, Stacy? I'm great. Good morning. This is our second podcast. There is a lot of fun doing these things together so far. So uh, today's topic is uh, we're going to be talking about a very, very common issue right now that a lot of people are struggling with, and uh, it's stress, right? There's a lot of stress right now going on all around our country, and uh, you've got a lot of people who are at home. You've got a lot of people right now who are furloughed from work. You've got people whose um, wages and uh, salaries have been cut back. A lot of stress out there. We've got a lot of friends who are going through a lot of tra- challenges right now. Isn't that yes, true? Yes, we certainly do. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a time of uncertainty. So it creates an enormous amount of fear and um, a lot of change. Yeah, a lot of change. Uh, and even on a personal level, uh, a lot of families have not spent this much time together. Uh, maybe not ever. <laughs> There's certainly some funny memes out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's some funny videos and memes, and boy, everybody needs a good laugh. But what makes them funny is there, there's so much truth to them, uh, right? Yeah, there really is. Yeah, we've had a few moments. We've done pretty well. We've, we've done we've well. We've had a few moments just because the stress is, is higher than normal, and, yeah. and uh, things have changed in our schedules and kind of the dynamic. And uh, suddenly you have, we don't, but suddenly you have families that are trying to homeschool that have never done that before, and they're uh, stressed about having lost their job, possibly stressed about money, and then you have husband and wife living together twenty four seven with no <laughs> real break, and you know it creates an enormous amount of pressure right. uh, that people are having to somehow cope with. I wonder sometimes how many people have actually faced what you and I have faced, which is uh, sometimes we're not sure what day of the week it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Absolutely. You know, I have a client of mine, and he and I have a standing Friday meeting, and it became a Zoom call at 11 o'clock, and he calls me that morning at 7 a.m., probably to confirm that we were on that day, and I thought it was Thursday, so I called him (laughs) at 5 o'clock in the afternoon to confirm our call the next day, only to find out I called him 5 o'clock on Friday. Yeah. And just a bizarre bizarre. uh, set of circumstances that we're living in. (laughs) So, yeah, lots of stress, and, and so we want to talk about it. You know, we want to really talk about the role that stress plays. You know, you always hear that stress is the silent killer. You always hear all these things about stress is your enemy. And uh, I want to challenge that a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about stress. To me, stress, in one sense, is what you make it. Uh, there's a fascinating study. Kelly McConaughey, she's at uh, Stanford University. Uh, they did, a, she talks about this study, they did an eight-year study, 30,000 adults, and they asked them the question, which is, uh, how much stress do you have in your life? And then they asked them a second question, do you think that stress is damaging? Do you think that stress is harmful in a person's life? And what's interesting is, for all the people who said that, that stress was damaging or harmful in their life, those people suffered a 43% higher chance of mortality. And they looked at the death records over those eight years, and the people who died who answered that question were virtually all the camp that said stress is is harmful to you, and they had high levels of stress. Yet the people who said that stress was not uh, inherently damaging or harmful to you, it wasn't inherently a bad thing, 
those people had zero mortality rates. It's fascinating. Which lends itself to perspective. I think people's perspective mm-hmm. about stress can be a wide array. So speak to that a little bit, Walter, because you come <laughs> from a very optimistic kind of uh, natural personality or behavioral style. So it's, it's easy for mm. you to kind of have that optimistic view. Yeah, you know, um, I love the word optimistic. You know, I think optimistic is simply the way a person chooses to see the world. The problem with the optimist sometimes is they can go too far down the spectrum, and I'm guilty of this. I mean, I can sometimes get to the point where I can move into maybe a place of denial of, of how uh, serious certain things are, and I can compartmentalize it into denial. And then you've got people on the other end of the spectrum that they don't live in denial at all, right? They ruminate. Can you think of anyone? <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, we're, as a couple, lots of couples are usually like this. Typically, you'll have two people together who one person tends to be the more optimistic, in-denial person oftentimes uh, when they get to that point. Another, the other person tends to be the ruminator. They tend to make everything uh, bad. They horribleize everything. And both of those um, me- means of dealing with stress are not just ineffective, but they're damaging. Mm-hmm. The reality is, as um, Kelly McConaughey talks about, is that stress isn't your enemy. Stress truly is your ally. It's your friend. There's something about stress mm-hmm. that promotes something that you desperately need, right? And, and, and what is that? Right. What do we know that stress promotes? Uh, it promotes a growth. It promotes an opportunity um, to challenge yourself, I think, to to find new ways of coping. I think stress reveals uh, to all of us unhealthy ways of coping that we have um, over time just reinforced. And so, um, you know, when we get compressed, it kind of oozes out and we yeah. get to see it and we can either hopefully you know, find new ways of healthy coping or not. And, and it's difficult. Yeah. You know, there's a book, I would say it's one of my top five books that, uh, that I've probably ever read in terms of how it's impacted my thinking. And, and you probably know this book because I've talked about it many times, but it's this book, A Failure of Nerve mm-hmm. by Edwin Friedman. It's just a brilliant and insightful book. And one of the things he says in here that I think is so interesting, um, he talks about the climate of contemporary America And he says that America has become so chronically anxious that our society has gone into emotional regression. And he walks and he says that this emotional regression has lowered people's pain thresholds with the result that comfort is valued over the rewards of facing challenge. Symptoms come in in fads and cures go in and out of style like clothing fashions. And then he says that there is a compulsive search for safety and certainty in our society today. He says, this is occurring equally in parenting, medicine, management. The anxiety is so deep within the emotional process of our nation that it is almost as though a neurosis has become nationalized. And I I really think it's uh, a terrific uh, insight how he talks about we as a society are taught and feel compelled to have to remove any sort of stress from our lives because we see stress as the enemy and stress is bad. And the reality is what happens when you remove stress or if you're in denial of it? You are stagnant. There's no real change. That's it. That's exactly right. Stress is kind of an impetus to growth, um, an impetus to strengthening. Um, 
it's uh, makes me think of the concept of hormesis. Mm. Talk a little bit about hormesis. Yeah. Well, that came out of uh, uh, this book, right? My good friend Ron Tester told me about this book a couple years ago, Anti-Fragile. And uh, man, I love this book. It's terrific. And in this book, I, I learned um, about this concept of hormesis. And hormesis is um, it's this toxicology term that toxicologists use. And it's the process of when you inject a toxin or a stressor into a system, the system adapts by getting stronger in preparation for if it ever is confronted by that toxin again, mm-hmm. or that stressor again, it has the capacity to resist it. It builds a a, uh, a res- uh, not just a resistance, but a resilience to it. Right. So like obviously the, the flu shot, the vaccine. yeah, the vaccines, yeah. Uh, that's a great example. You get a little bit of the flu mm-hmm. uh, as a vaccine and it, it um, uh, what's the word? It, uh, it builds your immunity. It builds mm-hmm. your resistance mm-hmm. to that antibodies. strain of the flu. Mm-hmm. What's that? The antibodies. The antibodies, right. And hopefully we're going to have a COVID-19 vaccine as well. That's something that we surely are looking forward to. That's right. So he calls these systems, when you have hormesis occur, he calls these anti-fragile systems, Mm -hmm. remember? Mm -hmm. And he says that there's three kinds of systems. You've got fragile systems, robust systems, and anti-fragile systems. And boy, when I read that, I thought, gosh, this is so helpful to me because one of the things I realized, you know, when you take a fragile system, the, the smallest bit of disruption can cause great harm to a fragile system. You know, think of a computer code. If somebody just changes one piece of the code, it can disrupt the entire program. You think of uh, crystal glass or porcelain. Where do you put crystal and porcelain? Where should you put it? Up in the highest cabinet. Up in the highest cabinet. You don't put it in there with all the sippy cups, right? right? Um, because it's fragile. But anti-fragile systems are systems that require disruption. Mm-hmm. They require stress. So for instance, you and I know this, like what, what's an example of an anti-fragile system that requires disruption for growth? Uh, the musculoskeletal system. Yeah, that's right. So if you, if you don't ever work out, if you don't ever stress your body. You're going to have atrophy. Atrophy, uh, yeah, that's right. It's a great word, atrophy. Uh, in fact, um, atrophy literally means without nourishment, mm-hmm. right? You're not feeding the system. You're not stressing the system. So the muscular system requires stress. If I want to get, you know, last time we talked a lot about some of your training and stuff. What did you have to do to get to a place where you could effectively complete your races to the best of your ability? How did you have to train? Uh, you have to build tolerance. Tolerance within your body and within your mind, but even in your body, developing the muscles and um, strengthening the muscles so they can endure the long hours of training. Yeah, that's right. How many times during trainings did you say to yourself, why am I doing this? Every day. (laughs) Every day. Yeah, and not just why am I doing this, but can I do this? Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you know you're pushing your body to its limits Mm -hmm. to achieve its maximal capacity, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what it means to live within an anti-fragile system. So think about this for a second. Take parenting, for instance. Mm -hmm. Parenting by nature, raising children, is an anti-fragile process. It requires stress. But Stacey, what happens if a parent chooses to always create a stress-free environment for their children? What what would that look like? What are some things parents do Mm -hmm. to reduce or, or, or remove stress from their children's lives? Uh, Unfortunately, you know, you think that you are um, creating an environment of ease 
which we all want to do for our children. Uh, but you really limit the amount of tools that they have in their toolbox. Mm. You might even have an empty toolbox because you've done it all for them. And, and I've certainly been guilty of that. It's the, it's the little, you know, even young elementary child that has a disaster of a room and you go in there and you clean it for them, even though you know in your heart that it would be better for them to do it, but you do it because it, it saves time, it's easier, you don't want the battle, and you just do it because you know you can do it in five minutes. And, but over time, as you continue to do other things, you know, it really cripples, it cripples the child long-term um, because then they go on to be <clears throat> incapable of doing things for themselves that they can and should be doing. And, and uh, you know, it makes it harder on them. And so suddenly you have this expectation of them, but you've never really taught them what it means to take responsibility for the little things. Yeah. Uh, how, how many parents have uh, <laughs> their child didn't get their project done in time? It's due the next day. <laughs> They find I've out never at nine, done that. <laughs> nine o'clock at night. They realize that the project's not done, and honestly, what do so many parents end up doing? Yeah, they stay up all night and do it for them. Or yeah, they, or they take their lunch to the school for the tenth time because they've forgotten it. Yeah. So you know, there's not as much motivation for the child to remember. And you know, I've done all of those things. I still make my son's lunch every day, and he's a senior in high school, <laughs> yeah. and I love doing it. It brings me joy, yeah. you know, but, uh, but you know, that that's an area that I've had to grow in, and certainly, um, you know, it creates a disadvantage for them right? If, yeah. you, if you don't teach them early. Well, we're not talking about not loving the kids <laughs> and not doing things for them. Obviously, we are. We're talking about as a pattern of life. Do I strive to just not allow my child to suffer excessive stress? You know, think about it. Now, go back to that project for a second, which I think that's very relevant for a lot mm-hmm. of people. The reason a parent will go ahead and bail the child out and either help them or do the project for them is because they don't want their child to get a zero or an F mm-hmm. and now have to spend the rest of the semester working extra hard to make up for that grade. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is that might be the best thing in the world that that child has to do because now what will that child remember? <laughs> They'll never do that again. That's right. Or if they do, they know who's not going to bail them out. Yeah, they know there's going to be some real consequences to it. And I think that, yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. It's it's just natural cause and effect that we all have to learn. And, you know, it's a good thing. So that's parenting, right? That's parenting. Talk about marriage. You know, you've got two people. Oftentimes, as we know, you and I uh, have done quite a bit of personality training Mm -hmm. with different organizations and groups. And one of the things we realized, statistically speaking, is the great percentage of people that connect in relationships that have very opposite personality styles, mm-hmm. which in the beginning we know is complementary, mm-hmm. right? The the quiet person loves the talker because they get to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. The talker loves the quiet person because the quiet person <laughs> lets them talk. And it's great in the beginning, but you now advance that clock a little bit, and now all of a sudden, they resent the differences. Right. That and thing you loved, you can't stand. That's right. That thing you loved, <laughs> now you can't stand. Yeah. yeah. What one day used to be, oh my gosh, I love how responsible you are with your money, becomes, oh my gosh, you're, you're so cheap. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right? Or, man, I, I loved how spontaneous you are, now becomes, mm-hmm. gosh, how can you be so irresponsible? Mm-hmm. You know, you're such a poor planner. Why can't you be more organized? Mm-hmm. And you realize that personality creates tension and stress. Mm -hmm. This is true in the workplace, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. You ever worked with and for people with very different personalities than yours? Absolutely. Yeah, and and what did that feel like sometimes under stress in the workplace 
with different types of personalities. Yeah, I think stress just heightens personality differences and it makes you less tolerant to personality differences, whether it's at home or at work. And especially right now during this time that we're all stuck at home, I think that um, it's uh, a greater challenge to accept the other person for their differences because you may see this whole experience completely different. Even that causes conflict, right? You may have one person in the, in the marriage that's uh, completely stressed about it and doesn't want to go anywhere and taking every precaution. And, and you have the other one that, that thinks this is all a hype and let's get on with it and open up, you know, the economy and so forth. And so even that creates, I think, tension. So I think, you know, the key is not being the same, obviously, because we would never grow. Um, we all know that marriage has, has got to be one of the greatest, um, opportunities for anti-fragile systems (laughs) yeah for seeing who you really are and and you know all the all the ugly spots come out but yeah you know i think it's just um being willing to seek to understand you know the other person and and it's hard to do in times of high stress no that's a great principle you know you and i have tried to practice that famous stephen covey principle of seeking first to understand before you seek to be understood it's stressful to do Try that. Try is the keyword. <laughs> yeah. It's stressful to do that because yeah. sometimes when you're so locked in your own position, to stop and try to see it from the other person's perspective is stressful because you want to feel heard first. The reality is that marriage and the differences, uh, I think it's even more than just accepting the differences. I think it's learning to take the differences and allow them to make you stronger and more resilient over time. So that the thing that bothers you one year, if you advance the clock five or seven years, Mm -hmm. that thing possibly should not bother you as much later because you've grown through it. Right. Kind of the whole idea of being less offendable. Being less, yes. I think that's really key in every relationship. Right. Um, It's hard. Look, when you're 40 years old, 50 years old, and you're still set off just as easily at 40 or 50 as you were when you were 20 Mm -hmm. or 30, you know, let's just be real. That person has not grown. That person has not allowed the stresses of life to deepen and mature them, uh, to grow them. But that's the Arete way. It's the path of excellence that says, I'm going to take the stress in my life and allow it to forge and shape me more into the person that I'm capable of being rather than continuing to strive to be the person I've always been. Isn't that true? Yeah. It makes me think about uh, just kind of the victim mentality. Mm. You know, and if you have a victim mentality, it's really hard to see outside of yourself because you remain in kind of your own little box of thinking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's a challenge for all of us. You talk about victims. I mean, gosh, that's rumination. Mm -hmm. Anytime we talk to somebody who feels like a victim, Mm -hmm. and that is their worldview, that is their life, they ruminate. It's always, woe is me. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They, they're always talking about the stresses in their life. And they never get out from under it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, that's been something that is a an area of deficiency for me that I've had to really grow in. And uh, just going to the extreme with worry and anxiety and fear about things that, you know, never really manifest. What's that Mark Twain quote that says... Yeah. Uh, I've had many crises in my life, and some of them have actually happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> that should be my motto. 
Um, but let's talk about that. So say that you are that person like me that tends to be a worrier and during this time creates great anxiety because there's so much uncertainty. You know, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I th you know, great question. And I think there's a lot of people that tend to that side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. yeah, and one of the things I do say to people on that side of the spectrum is you have to practice reframing. Mm -hmm. You have to literally stop where you are and you have to ask yourself, how is this how could this make me better? What am I what am I learning from this? How am I growing from this? Not why me or why me again. But that's that's the ruminator. Mm -hmm. But how is this making me stronger and better? It goes back to Kelly McCongle's research. Mm -hmm. What you believe about what you're going through is going to have a direct effect on your body. Mm -hmm. Right? It's going to affect your psyche and your body. You know, we have a very good friend of ours, Dr. Rick Vera. He's a pain management doctor. And I remember talking to Rick one time, and I remember Rick telling me that of all the people that come through his practice, he said that he would not be surprised if the majority of them could have their pain in their life and in their bodies, their back and their neck and all these things they're going through, reduced significantly simply by reducing the amount of mental stress they put on themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. I think what he meant by that is how you frame it is going to have um, and a, a huge effect on what it does to your body. So that's Absolutely. the first thing I'd say is, how are yeah. you framing it? Like, for instance, let's, we brought this up last time, Stacey. You know, back in October, one of the biggest losses of your life was the loss of your mom. Very painful. You even were very honest and said it was hard to get out of bed. But you would get out of bed. Why, why did you? What would you say yeah. to yourself to get out of bed? Uh, you know, I would wake up every day and, and think it's going to be better today. And I would feel that same feeling of, you know, I still feel like I did yesterday. And I would be tempted. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, I think part of the reason I got out of bed is because I didn't want to tell you, <laughs> Mr. Optimist, that I stayed in bed all day. Yeah. So that was a motivation. But really the motivation for me was I knew what I wanted. And I knew that for me to stay in bed would just set a chain in motion for me to stay in bed the next day. Yeah. And so I just fought against it. Um, it didn't mean I jumped out of bed with joy. Um, I might even stay home all day, but I did get out of bed and, uh, because I knew that it would get better at some point. Yeah. Um, it makes me think about, you know, back in February, you may remember this, we were on the square at Recycle Books and, um, you love to go to recycle books. Yes. So I went in willingly again <laughs> to get you a book. Facing the stress. But I really was just kind of not in a great mindset. Yeah. And uh, I remember walking into the, the aisle that you were in, and uh, there was a book that was displayed, as they sometimes do. They'll display a book on a little stand. And it, was, it caught my attention because mm. it said, What Keeps You Up at Night? The, the title was What Keeps You Up at Night, and by uh, author Pete Wilson, I believe. And so it caught my attention because I was having a lot of insomnia. And, yeah. and to my surprise, the book became a real pivotal point mm -hmm. for me in my mindset. Um, I was having a really tough time just breaking out of, of some thought patterns that I was having about my mom. And essentially in this book, he's talking about not letting um, uncertainty or fear kind of keep you on the sidelines mm -hmm. and just making the decision you know, to live or not. Um, and I think we all kind of know what that means because um, I was really stuck in this place of stagnation and, and maybe even victim, a victim mentality. And so um, 
I began reading this book and it really uh, helped transform my mindset and yeah. helped me to really reframe things. It doesn't mean it all went away. Um, I think it's a, a real proactive uh, position that you have to take every day of your life or it just comes right back yeah. for some people. Um, and there's a, there was a quote in there. I remember that he said, you don't typically get clarity at the start line. Mm-hmm. You only get clarity as you begin to take steps towards the finish line. And so it's just taking those steps. And so I began doing that and began reading this and really trying to reframe my thoughts. And um, again, it's not a it's not a quick fix, but I do believe that uh, there's things that we can do that help us to transform the way that we think about things and yeah. about the stressors and the pain in our lives. Uh, again, I feel like we're just talking about lots of books that we've been reading, but one of the books that we have read that's just a really remarkable book, I think it was one of the 100 most influential books of the 20th century, mm-hmm. was by the Austrian psychiatrist Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl. Oh, yeah. And uh, some people have read that book, and anyone who's read that will say it was one of the most transformational books they've read. It's a little book, not very long, and basically it's uh, Victor Frankl's account of being a Holocaust survivor mm-hmm. and what he learned about survivors. And that's what he studied. And uh, to boil it all down, remember he said that the main difference between the survivors and the non-survivors was the decision that they made in their life about what this was gonna look like, how they framed the meaning of their suffering, how they framed the meaning of their future. Mm -hmm. And they were able to allow their future to, to allow them to endure their present. You know, sometimes you have to let the past get you through your present because you know you've been through hard things in the past. Absolutely. But with Frankel, he also said sometimes it's the meaning you place in the future that gets you through your present circumstances. And it's all, it's all right here. It's the decision that you make and how I'm going to frame things. He told himself, I'm going to live. I'm going to live through this. In spite of losing his family, losing his wife, I remember him uh, telling um, a story about uh, it was near the end of his life and he was walking uh, with fellow prisoners and they were all emaciated and it was freezing temperatures outside mm. and um, the pain and the agony that they were suffering in their feet and in their bodies. Uh, and, he's, and he shared a, a moment where he was reflecting upon his wife and the love that they had for each other. And it was so moving. And, and he said that just even the mere thought of her and the love that he had for her and the love that she had for him allowed him to keep walking, you mm-hmm. know, when he wanted to just collapse and give up. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Again, uh, he would not have maybe used this term, but uh, that's what this podcast is about, right? It's the Arate way. It's the way of excellence. And the way of excellence is not denying the pain, not denying the stress, not denying the challenges. It's also not ruminating and globalizing and making it everything mm-hmm. right where it creates this victim mentality but it's allowing stress uh failure hardship all these things to be an ally to strengthen us it's that anti-fragile element that makes us stronger right it's the hormetic effect of taking us from where we are to where we're capable of being mm-hmm. and, and that's why we want to talk about this is because right now Uh, You know, they say 80% of people today uh, claim that they have high levels of stress in their life, right? I think the other 20% are probably lying. (laughs) I mean, life is hard, man, right? There's a lot of challenges going on right now. And so we want to make sure 
that we're, we're providing as much help and hope and encouragement to people that how you frame it mm-hmm. makes you know all the difference in the world. I, I got a card once, a guy named Joe Sauger, who's a great friend and a client. And uh, Joe sent me this card in the mail. It was this awesome love pop card. You ever seen those? You oh, open yeah, them up and then cards. you'll have these really amazing, intricate mm-hmm. pictures pop out. And I opened mine up and it was just this really nice gratitude card. He was just sharing some nice things. And, and this beautiful, like majestic ship pops out of the card. Yeah, I remember. Remember that? And he had this great quote in there. And I don't remember it exactly, but it says something to the effect of this. He said, he said, most people when facing storms go around the storm. Leaders build better ships. And I thought about that and I thought, gosh, that's so true. That today, far too many people strive as best they can to go around every storm of life as opposed to just building a better ship allowing the storms of life to strengthen us and deepen us so that we are more capable of of going through these storms. Mm -hmm. I I think there's something, too, to be said about, you know, this whole concept of gratitude that's, you know, such a big word in Mm. in the world that we live in now. But, you know, um, really taking the time to remember and to recall um, what it is that we have to be thankful for and and recalling the times that we've been through that we didn't maybe think that we could get through. Mm-hmm. I think that you and I both could agree that there's been times in our lives where we, we weren't sure if we were going to get to the other side. Truly, we weren't sure. And yet we did. Um, it makes me think of a, a, a verse that's one of my favorite verses uh, from Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen, And it says, For I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see God in the land of the living. Yeah. And to me, that's that I wouldn't see God here on earth, this side of heaven. Right. And so that gives me hope mm. uh, to be able to believe that I will see him again, mm-hmm. and, and no matter what the circumstances are. Yeah, no, that's great. That's really good. So, you know, we, people have got to, number one, really take control of their minds as best they can. Don't live in denial. Don't be on that side of the spectrum and say, hey, everything's good. Everything's fine. It's not that big of a deal because now you miss out on the growth element. Mm-hmm. And you can't go to rumination because now you allow it to be your enemy. Now stress becomes the killer because you're now living in this torment, constant torment. Mm -hmm. There's a place in the middle. That's what Aristotle talks about. It's the middle way that you learn to use the middle way to strengthen you, Mm -hmm. to become um, all that you're capable of being, right? To fulfill your purpose in life. The middle road is the road to be able to do that. You know, one other thing, as we think through this together is uh, you and I love studying about the brain. We love studying about um, science. Uh, and one of the, one of the areas that I've really gained a lot of knowledge or at least some understanding in is the role that certain chemicals play in the brain. And one of them is oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this. You probably did because you're a nurse, but oxytocin is an anti-inflammatory. And it's, it's known as the, the love hormone, it's the connecting hormone, it's the bonding hormone. And what happens is, is that when you are engaged in human connection, it's actually a stress reducer. And so when people go through lots of stress, rather than isolating, mm-hmm. and rather than retreating into themselves and being away from people, one of the great antidotes that's built into our biological systems is human connection. And I fear, one of the things I fear about our society right now with the social distancing stuff that we're doing and keeping your distance from everybody around you and you can't touch anymore, 
is that as social creatures, as biological creatures who require touch Mm -hmm. in order to reduce stress levels, we're taking one of the fundamental, and I'm not saying we shouldn't because of the danger, but what's happening as a consequence is Mm -hmm. people, because they're not embracing, they're not shaking hands, they're not hugging, they're not engaging on that level like they used to, we are now limiting ourselves from one of the basic um, survival mechanisms that our bodies have. And so I would just challenge people to up their game in terms of who you're calling, Mm -hmm. the people that you're talking to, get on your phone, get on Zoom, get the face-to-face contacts and do these things because there's still an oxytocin release just from human connection. Right, right. Makes me think of a podcast I was listening to last night right before I went to bed and uh, it was Brene Brown um, interviewing an author and he Mm. was talking about um, this concept of long spoons. Mm. And so um, it was, a, it was a, a room full of people with long spoons, uh, two different rooms of people with long spoons. In one room, they were using the long spoons to feed themselves. And, the, and they were quiet. Nobody was really talking to each other. They were just feeding themselves with the long spoons. And the other room was using this, the long spoons to feed each other. Mm. And there was laughter and joy and Uh, camaraderie and uh, so you know she was using this illustration of you know what are you doing with your long spoon right now are you you feeding yourself are you reaching out to another to see what they need and you know I think that's such a good reminder of you know what are we doing to help each other through this time and and really kind of step outside of our selfishness and and seek the need that that's around us yeah no doubt about that's great that's a great analogy so look, as we, uh, you know, in the, in the coming weeks, as everybody begins to return back to work and things begin to start moving again, uh, stress levels will probably uh, uh, change. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a different type of stress, mm-hmm. but there's going to be the residual. Mm-hmm. That's going to be now a lot of people are digging themselves out of a hole. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find new work. Uh, there's going to be a lot right. of hardship. And so hopefully what we're talking about today is going to help people to think through their stress, not make it necessarily the enemy of your life, Mm -hmm. make it the ally of your life. Mm -hmm. Learn to, what is this doing to strengthen you today as a couple? I got a phone call from a guy. He told me, Walter, not traveling at all anymore. He said, my marriage was on a thread. Mm -hmm. And right now my marriage is better than it's been in a long time because he's not on the road every week for three to four days a week. Yeah, and I thought, great. man, that's so great that he can take a stressful situation and frame it mm-hmm. in such a way that another area of his life that's most important to him is actually getting stronger and getting better as a result of it. So good to hear that too. It's good to hear the positive side you know, of an, of an experience like that because there's so many negative ones that we're hearing. So, And, and even for us, you being home more and not traveling as much, you know, it has its cost, but it has its benefit. And we've benefited from that and tried to make the best of our time together. And it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a silver lining. And yeah. I think that's what we have to focus on is how can we find the silver lining in anything, but especially right now. No doubt about it. You know, look, there's a lot of us out here who are going to be going through a lot, who are going through a lot. And we just hope here at the Airte Way that You guys are uh, encouraged by what we're talking about. You know, we want to talk about things that we're dealing with every single day, real life situations as, 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 you know, marriages, relationships, kids, going to work, your health. And we just want to help all of us take care of ourselves better to pursue the excellent way, the excellent path, and the challenging yourself to 
to really be the best that you're capable of being. So take the stress that's going on in your life right now and ask yourself, how am I growing? Uh, what is this teaching me? How am I becoming better? Thanks for joining us today. We'll be with you guys again in a couple weeks. And um, we just appreciate you guys sharing this with your friends, people that you know, share it. And uh, we'll see you guys soon.